I'm Erin O'Hara, Executive Director of the Tennessee Education Research Alliance. And I'm Laura Booker, Executive Director of Research at the Tennessee Department of Education. And this is Episode 5 of the 10th Period. So Laura, I'm really, really excited about this episode. I feel like it's a special episode. We're talking about a recently released report from Tara on school turnaround in Tennessee that looks at five years of data on the Achievement School District and Innovation Zones and Priority Schools. That's uh, work that's been done over years by Gary Henry here at Vanderbilt and Ron Zimmer, who's at Kentucky. Um, but what I'm most excited about is that I feel like we've got with us between Gary and then the Commissioner of Education, who's appearing on this podcast, and Sharon Griffin, who uh, is was in the Innovation Zones in Memphis and is now the, uh, the superintendent of the Achievement School Districts. I feel like we have education superstars in the room with us today, and I'm really, really psyched about it. Yeah, that position, um, director of the Achievement School District, is definitely one of our more high-profile director positions in Tennessee, and uh, both the commissioner and uh, Sharon Griffin are are, are no, um, have have been featured in many a news article in the day. This is like, these are the people that uh, basically anyone who might work, certainly in education policy in the state, um, but probably also in a lot of schools, actually, these are names that they would know. I know, I actually, um, I have a good friend who's a teacher here in Metro Nashville, and um, she she occasionally texts me when she sees the commissioner out and about at dinner and things, um, because you know right. the commissioner she's a celebrity to those who are in education in the state of Tennessee, and actually to people like um, Candace McQueen and Sharon Griffin, um, you know they are kind of like our celebrities. Yeah, I mean I get more. We're ex- actually going to spend the first moment of the b- podcast where we normally talk about something sort of interesting about education, just geeking out about the people that we have on the show. So keep going with what you're going to say. Well, I was just going to say that uh, you know I've seen people like Keith Urban in Starbucks here in Nashville, but I think I got more excited about, oh, t- 10 years ago, I, I spotted Chris Barbick huh. um, at Local Taco. Former director and he, founding superintendent of the Achievement right. School District. At the time, I, he uh, had not yet taken on the Achievement School District role. He was still just well known for his role in Texas, um, leading the Yes Preparatory Schools. Right. Um, so he just, he was very well known to me at that point in time, and I recognized him. And I'm like telling my husband, that's Chris Barbick. He's like an educator. <laughs> Education superstar. Yeah, right. um, so interesting enough about Chris, he actually was the speaker at my graduation from the master's program here at Vanderbilt. Um, and uh, at the time, I thought, oh, wow, this here's a guy who's like, you know, he, I mean, he was not to date myself, but this was c- close to it was more than 10 years ago. I'll just leave it at that. Um, and he was being recognized for the work he had done at Yes Prep. Um, and uh, and I was thinking, oh, wow. That's I'm so I, that's what I have to aspire to, um, and you know, great work starting the achievement school district, leading the achievement school district. Um, Sharon, I've heard about um, for years. Uh, you know, um, the Shelby County. We'll talk about this a little bit on the on the podcast, but the Shelby County I zones among the most successful um, of the innovation zones broadly. And as Gary's research shows, you know, the innovation zones actually sort of match. Uh, match success in some of the most uh, impressive turnaround work that's been done in the nation. So Sharon, truly a superstar, not only in Tennessee, but actually, I think, nationally. That's right. Um, School leaders in Indianapolis, Washington, D.C., I mean, they have all come from across the country to basically follow Sharon around and uh, see the work that she's been doing in the school districts, in the school in um, Shelby County. A shrewd and savvy move by the Commissioner of Education (laughs) to hire her as well. So really excited to have the Commissioner of Education here as well. Um, I'm excited. I think, Laura, we'll probably just go ahead and and get started here in a minute. So um, excited to have uh, Gary Henry, who is the 
researcher who has led the work uh, that's been done at the Tennessee Education Research Alliance on school turnaround over the last five years, and Sharon Griffin and the Commissioner of Education. So let's jump in with Gary. So we're excited to welcome Gary Henry, who is the Patricia and Rhodes Hart Distinguished Professor of Public Policy and Education here at Vanderbilt, to the 10th period. Gary's going to talk to us about the research that he and colleagues have been doing on school turnaround in Tennessee. So Gary spent the last five years working with Ron Zimmer, who was formerly here at Peabody and is now at the University of Kentucky, and two fantastic graduate students that I didn't want to not mention, Adam Coe and Lam Pham. Um, and the work that they've been doing, Laura, as you know, too, has been among some of the most um, influential research that we've done with Tara in Tennessee over the last couple of years. And I think really has come to shape the conversation about the impact of school turnaround. So we're excited to have Gary here and then looking forward to having the state reaction as well. So, Gary, welcome to the 10th period. Thanks. It's great to have you here, Gary. And before we dive into the research findings, could you tell us a little bit about how you got started researching here in Tennessee around school turnaround? Well, before I came to Vanderbilt six years ago, I was um, working in North Carolina, and I had been doing uh, work on turnaround schools, um, partially motivated by the fact that um, when the busing dropped as an option for desegregating schools, we saw these large concentrations of minorities and economically disadvantaged kids in schools in urban and rural areas. And um, knowing that we were going to have to have a policy solution so that those um, students could get served in the way that would best meet their needs, um, we began to get very interested in school turnaround. And then it also came forward with uh, school improvement grants from the federal government, as well as race to the top and first to the top here in Tennessee. So um, it to me, it's the most significant problem facing education today is how we begin to take these schools that have some natural challenges uh, to them in the way schools operate. For instance, teachers tend to migrate uh, out of uh, lower performing, more challenging environments into uh, environments that are less challenging on a day-to-day basis. And so um, I thought it was the least, uh, most intractable problem in education and it seemed like a good way to spend my time. Gary, I want to talk a little bit about you all have spent, as I said, five years doing research in Tennessee. Um, Two years ago, you released a report talking about the first three years of school turnaround, the Achievement School District and the innovation zones in the state. Can you summarize just a little bit for us about what you found three years ago, uh, what this recently released report says, and sort of what you see as the differences between the two? Right. So three years ago, we released a report, and um, it was it was a very interesting report in terms of the findings. Not at all what we thought we would see when we came to that point, but what we what we found was that um, Tennessee had had engaged for those three years in probably the boldest way in the nation for trying to turn around these lowest performing schools. And they had two very distinct models. One model was the Achievement School District, where um, for the most part, charter management organizations from around the country who'd been used to working in charter schools were then given 
a, a contract to begin to turn around these lowest performing schools. And the idea there, it seemed um, right minded to us um, that these uh, often charters are, uh, schools are operating in the most challenging environments. And these folks have been dealing successfully in some cases with these problems. So it seemed like a really good idea and to a lot of folks uh, in the education sector. The other uh, model that they chose uh, was to basically form a district within a district and call them innovation zones. And if there's anything that has to happen in these schools for these um, uh, kids to be well served that are in those schools, we have to have innovation. The, the question mark there was, would the districts that had allowed this um, low performance to go on, would they have the wherewithal to turn them around? Did they have the capacity? Did they have the will to do so? so and in some ways, hence the two different models, probably. Right. And yeah. so it, it made it a, a very practical, on-the-ground kind of challenge, but also an intellectual challenge. Which of these kinds of, uh, of methods, or both, would work? Uh, so we compared them over three years, and what we found was the I-Zone had successfully improved student gains in uh, math, reading, and science uh, across the board in the three locations where um, the I-Zones were working, and that's in Chattanooga, in Memphis, and in Nashville. And so um, that was startling results because we had not seen very positive results from turnaround in other places. And specifically from district-led turnaround as well, right? Right. It, it had always taken a nudge from the state in order to do that. Now, they had a nudge from the state, but whether it in was the, going to be... In the form of the Achievement School District, or you, do you mean in the sort of Innovation Zone Challenge, or both? It's both, really. Um, they had the um, pressure from the ASD that if things didn't go well, they could uh, right. move these schools into the ASD, but they also had direct pressure from the state and guidance from the state about what they needed to take care of. Uh, for instance, um, one feature in the I-Zones was uh, recruitment and retention and performance bonuses for teachers and other uh, building personnel, including principals. So, um, so they had some pressure and it seemed to work. On the other hand, when we looked at the ASD findings, we found that um, they did no better or no worse than the other schools that were similar to them in terms of being low performing and having the same kind of challenging uh, context in which they were working. Um, schools known as priority schools. Priority schools yep. is, is the label that and we And that's use. the comparison point, right? You're comparing prior, all priority schools to schools that had the I-Zone intervention and schools that had the ASD inter intervention. Is that correct? Right. Okay. And so we're comparing both the I-Zone and the ASD to the same group of schools that did not have right. the intervention. We saw the positive effects, as I said, And with what were the some of the sizes of those impacts in the I-Zone in terms of student achievement gains? Well, the smallest one, um, to put it in a uh, in a comparative sense, um, the smallest one we saw in any subjects over three years was as large as the um, as reducing class size from 25 to 14. And the largest was twice that large. So in other words, uh, we were seeing effects that were quite substantial. And they were in line with the other uh, turnaround programs in the country uh, who were doing turnaround work. Yeah, so um, basically, 
the press in, in this have often said that, that as an experiment, the ASD has failed and that the I-Zone is a better way to think about turning around our lowest performing schools. How would you frame this or how would you describe that reaction or react to that? So I, I think it's an important uh, point to take stock in where we are and how we got here. Uh, so when we issued our three-year report that I just talked about, we had an open question. Could the I-Zone gains be sustained? And would the ASD become more successful as the intervention uh, matured and they got better? But we found basically the I-Zone was able to sustain those effects through five years, and we did not see positive effects in the, um, in the ASD in years four and five. So with that, um, and taking a step back about the ASD, if, um, I think what the research tells us is that uh, we have... Uh, a partial theory failure here. Uh, and, and so uh, these, uh, the program was implemented as it was intended, but the implementation didn't bring about the results that we wanted to see. So um, I still believe that if innovation becomes key to the ASD, it can still play a powerful and strong role. But I believe that there are underlying barriers to the success of these schools that weren't being attended to with the charter management organizations. Uh, so a couple you, yeah, of those. Yeah, can you say a little bit more about what you mean by that? A couple of those specifically. Charter schools manage their student population. They, uh, some of them will not admit students after the beginning of the year, and they manage very carefully making sure that the families come into the school are ones who want to have the kinds of uh, uh, school experience that the charters offer. They're operating as neighborhood schools. So that means the dynamic of student mobility, which is high in these urban areas, has to be attended to. If they did not have a, a plan and a forethought about that, it's probably going to be incredibly difficult for them to uh, have the same kind of results that some of them have seen. Meaning, on a in, in basis. some ways, that the charter management organizations that went into the ASD, if the theory of the ASD, in part as you laid out, was uh, let's engage charter management organizations to come in and take over these schools. That actually was not necessarily something that had been done in that same way before. Charter management organizations didn't weren't necessarily in the place yet of doing uh, f full school turnaround in neighborhood school type environments. That's, that's, that's a little bit of the experiment. That's right. And and it was a um, it, it truly was an open question at the time. But the 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 theory of change or or the theory that I think has has not worked is autonomy to the charter management organizations, because that was the basic thrust of what they were doing. I think um, they should be given autonomy to innovate, but they also, uh, for instance, one of the things our research has shown is that um, they did, uh, in the ASD, they did a good job of recruiting teachers, which charters typically do, um, but they didn't retain them. And so there's a natural flow from the lowest performing schools uh, to the highest for teachers, who especially effective teachers, they they often move out of these uh, low performing environments to higher performing environment. If you're not focused on that phenomena sufficiently, you're going to lose your best teachers, and that I think losing teachers and leaders has really contributed. So the autonomy is the theory 
um, I, I don't think is the way to way to move forward. Gary, what do you think are the next steps, both for the research and then what the state should be thinking about over the next five years? So one of the things I hope we come back with this fall, and I'm, I, we're getting really close, is um, we're going to be able to show the structural barriers, the barriers that really undermine the success of ASD. And some of them may have actually um, lessened the positive effects of the innovation zones. So we're looking right now um, at a more formal analysis of the effect of teacher turnover, chronic absenteeism, of, um, of principal turnover, uh, and trying to see which of those levers uh, needs to be attended to in order to make these schools much more effective. Because uh, I think we're not going to, the state now has a major pillar in their uh, turnaround uh, moving forward of talent management. And I think that is going to have to be some of the pillars that the state's using for the uh, other parts of the turnaround need to be addressed uh, in terms of the turnaround in the uh, ASD schools. Gary, this is really helpful. Laura, I, I think we've probably, uh, do you have any more questions? I know we'll have more I'm, questions in the future. I'm ready to bring on some of our uh, state yeah, leaders. I, I'm excited to hear um, our state folks react to the research, but Gary, really grateful for you spending some time with us this morning. Um, really clear explanations of sort of what you all found and, and what's to come in the future and looking forward to having you back on the 10th period. Thank you, Gary. Great. Thanks so much. Thank you all. Okay, so today we're going to combine our traditional on-the-spot segment with our Department of Education segment because uh, not only uh, do we have two folks here who we're really excited to have with us, but actually also we've had a little bit of integration between district and state recently with Dr. Sharon Griffin, who has joined the state as the Achievement School District Superintendent, and we're honored to also have with us today Commissioner McQueen to um, have the perspective of the state on the Achievement School District Innovation Zone research. And also we're going to probe a little bit with Dr. Griffin on um, on her thoughts from the district perspective. So um, I'd love to start with both of you just talking a little bit about your roles as it pertains to priority schools and, um, and school improvement in the state, what you think sort of is the impact of your particular role, but also how you all are seeing, I know this is a, a new partnership, but how you all are seeing the, the two roles interact. Um, and obviously you've done this with Achievement School District Superintendents before, Commissioner McQueen. Um, so I think we'll start with you, Commissioner. Um, can you tell us just a little bit about your sense of the role of the commissioner in school turnaround and then how the role interacts with school districts and, and interacts with the Achievement School District Superintendent? Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to be here and thrilled that Sharon is here as well. So we can we can talk about this collectively. Uh, you know, at first, I think the state's role nationally is critical to school improvement. The state has an opportunity to stay focused on equity and ensuring that all students in all schools have a pathway to um, success. And the state's role can then really put pressure on our local districts through a variety of mechanisms, a variety of policy approaches that can keep this work front and center. The state also has an opportunity to bring more resources and support mm -hmm. and more attention to the matter that maybe a district can't do for a variety of reasons. So our work is to create the policy environment, create the mechanisms to stay focused on the schools that are most in need, and then to create pathways through resources and other support to make sure that those are being um, 
uh, improved over time. And so we look forward to talking more about what that looks like in Tennessee. Yeah, great. And Dr. Griffin, your thoughts on both this new role and sort yes. of the role and the interaction. So first, um, thank you for this opportunity. Yeah, and I just want to say even thank you to the commissioner, because I think that um, the ASD and the turnaround model brought a laser-like focus to an issue of concerns where students and schools were underperforming, where we were not actually focusing on the resources and human capital, you know, and best practices to implement uh, what was best for students. So I want to thank them first for that. I think that this particular role in serving as a former teacher, assistant principal, principal, I was at the district level for seven years. It now gives me the opportunity to bridge the understanding of what actually happens in schools at the grassroots level so that we can actually collaborate not only with uh, the ASD, but with other districts across our state. And so I'm excited about sharing those best practices as we move forward. Yeah, talk a little bit more, if you will, just quickly about the working with other districts too. So you know, you've obviously spent a long time in Memphis, have yes. sort of grown through that system, uh-huh. taken on important roles there. As you think about this as a statewide thing, how are you thinking about interacting? And I think it'd be interesting to have your perspective on this too, Commissioner, interacting with the other districts who are doing the same kind of work. Well, think uh, as I think about it, I think first we have to look at, um, even though we're talking today about the I-Zone and, and what the study has revealed, I think there are success and pockets of success all across our state, where in particular Chattanooga and even here in Nashville and even in our ASD schools, where we've identified best practices that, that, that were successful. And I think as we begin to intentionally collaborate, then we can begin to share that this becomes a responsibility of all of us. And so that's the perspective that I want to bring. I don't know that the intentional collaboration has happened in the past the way that we want to make sure that it is a priority moving forward. Yeah, Yeah, I would say we brought in uh, Dr. Griffin as an assistant commissioner Mm -hmm. for our school turnaround work. So not only is she serving as the superintendent Mm -hmm. of the Achievement School District, she's serving as an assistant commissioner who has a statewide view of what school improvement should look like under the plan that we have in our Tennessee Succeeds and ESSA work. But also she has this opportunity to take expertise that she has brought already to the I-Zone work and is now bringing to the ASD and help be thoughtful about scale, Mm -hmm. um, uh, approaches that may work in certain communities and certain policy environments that may be more appropriate um, and not uh, compared to what she's already experienced and the successes and quite frankly the challenges that we've experienced in this space already in our state. I think that shining light on best practices is something that we hope our internal research team at the department and working with the Tennessee Education Research Alliance that that the research can support in. Um, And I also want to hear from both of you um, the study that has been done by Gary Henry and Ron Zimmer and some of the other folks at Vanderbilt. Um, What impact do you think that those studies have had on policy and practice? Um, Sharon, I'll let you start. Well, let me first say that um, I think that it has shed a light on us really not having the gap exist at all. Now that they've identified that the gap can close, how do we make sure that we're implementing practices and we're supporting each other so that the gap doesn't widen widen in the beginning? Um, So I'm excited about um, policies now as we begin to execute on resources, on staffing, uh, human capital, how those policies are, are also driving how those best practices can be enhanced before school is actually in the bottom 5% or in a low-performing state. 
Yeah, so. I thought one of the things that was so interesting in this most recent, uh, recently released report mm-hmm. is that really the uh, effects of the Innovation Zone work are pretty similar to those, uh, you know, heralded, and there aren't that many of them, turnaround mm-hmm. successes in the country. Um, and I'd, I'd love to hear you talk in a minute, um, Candice, a little bit about your perspective of the research, but Sharon, you've mentioned a couple of times some of the best practice ideas. Do you have things in your head that you're thinking from both your experience and what you've seen maybe in this research or other Absolutely. research that you think, here are a couple of things yes. that we really need to focus on? I think one thing um, that the commission has focused on, and I think we need to drill deep on, is high quality teachers. Yeah. We and have Gary to make sure, yeah, well. we have mm-hmm. to make sure we're developing teachers, we're supporting them, but we also can't forget about the leader. And I think as we develop supports, whether that's district level coaches, whether that's building the capacity within schools, because when you start small and turn around and you have a small number of teachers and a small coaching staff to make sure they get that intentional one-on-one support, that looks totally different from scaling it up. And so now we're thinking about how do you build internal capacity? So if a teacher is struggling early so that we can address student achievement gaps, there is someone in the school on a daily basis that can help this teacher continue to develop. And we had uh, Dr. Jason Grissom on last week actually talking a little bit about how we do actually have some distribution issues around our our principal leadership in Tennessee with Mm -hmm. um, and that we're doing some more strategic work to try to get our best principals in our most needy schools. We we see our least experienced principals and our least effective principals most frequently in our highest need schools. And that that isn't necessarily the case in all of the sort of I-zone schools or ASD schools or other priority schools, but we do see sort of across the board in the state and and really nationally, that's an experience. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do you want to, Candice, just talk a little bit about your perspective on what is the research brought to the practice? We have been so appreciative of having a a larger view uh, from uh, Gary Henry and Ron Zimmer's work in particular that allows us to get out of the day-to-day work of improving schools from, you know, last year's data to this year's data and trying to push forward into, you know, uh, a new strategic plan for the schools. But to say, let's step out of that for a moment. Let's look at the big picture and say, what what pieces have actually worked um, over time? And what can we learn from the I-Zone that actually has impact on decisions that we need to be making differently um, around the ASD work? Mm -hmm. And then where do those things maybe merge as we think about other school improvement models over time? Um, You know, we get asked a lot, so do you think the Achievement School District was a failure? Is it a failed experiment? And my response to that question is, quite frankly, this is a dynamic environment. It's dynamic uh, nationally in school improvement. And we are learning And then you've got to take what you've learned, you iterate on that, and you take the next best step, right? You look at what you know you have in front of you, and you say, well, how are we going to apply that in different ways? Are there big changes? Are there small changes? And we know three things really matter that we've learned really from the research that both Gary and Ron did. One is our our staffing patterns. Do we have the, the right teachers in the right places, and are we focusing on that recruitment and retention in the way we should? Two, there isn't a silver bullet. There is not a structure that all of a sudden creates um, all of the um, outcomes that you want. You have to create within that all of the things, you know, instructionally that are appropriate within that, whatever structure that may be. The structure can help. Mm -hmm. Um, It can certainly create some conditions that allow for success. But there's so much more that has to happen in the structure than maybe was initially 
thought through yeah. when um, the ASD or even the iZone from the outset yes. was created. The third thing that we've learned really through this research and our own experience on the ground is that it matters to have pressure. It matters for prioritization of schools and students that may have been not prioritized in the past or left behind in some of the conversations. And while the ASD has not been perfect, it has created conversations that would not have happened uh, six years ago. And we believe that matters in how we even go forward. And I was just going to add, I like to look at it in a sense, it's allowed us to fail forward. Um, and so we have to try and we won't always win and hit the target when we try, but it is allowing us to reflect and consistently talk and dialogue about what's best for our teachers, our leaders and our students. So I, I like to look at it as a failing forward process. I like I like the idea of failing forward. I mean, this is the idea of continuously improving and lear learning from our past, and that's really what research and what this is all about, right? We, yeah. we do this work and we try to figure out what, what went right, what didn't go so Absolutely. well, and how can we learn moving forward. And so, uh, Candace, you talked about pressure. Gary talked a little bit about pressure. Sharon, mm -hmm. you were in the position of yes. having the pressure. I mean, one of the things I think that we see in the research is you, it's actually very hard to quantify pressure in it, yes. certainly in a quantitative study. Right. And we've had some qualitative work that's been done by Josh Glazer um, mm -hmm. that, that does talk a little bit about that pressure component. Can you talk about being in that position? Absolutely. And then also a little bit maybe about how you're thinking about that from the new position perspective. Right. And, and let me tell you a little bit about the pressure and how it was relieved some. Because when the Innovation Zone was created with the state's approval, we had empowerment to make decisions based on the needs of the schools. So some of the district constraints and some of the even policies and guidelines that other schools that were not in the I-zone, the models they had to follow as, as it related to policies, we didn't have to follow. Right. So it allowed us to really customize all of our resources, our staffing, and the support to the need of the school. So the pressure actually that the outside people thought we were feeling, it actually was a good place for us to be in because we for, were for the first time not adhering to the cookie cutter approach. Mm. Every single need. Dist you, mean, you mean sort of taking the district-wide approach the and district applying it absolutely. to every school equally as opposed to sort of having a, as you said previously, absolutely. a laser-like focus yes. on these particular sets of schools. Yes, and in the past and in other schools, it was everybody goes to this blank at PD. Yeah. Everybody, this is the resources that you would choose. Well, with the state's approval of the Innovation Zone, we were allowed to actually tailor all of our needs, all of our supports, hire teachers based on the needs of the schools, use those resources in that same way mm -hmm. to address the needs of the schools, added an extra hour so that when students were late, we were able to intervene. And so the way that Commissioner McQueen and the district has moved toward all means all it's very similar to what we did early on because we were able to address the needs sociably and academically, all students on a daily basis. But we had to be our zone first. But again, that was a way now we know and has been documented that it works. So I'm so glad to also see it's upscale to ESSA now. Yeah. Tweet did, that. Did it's you, upscale you to ESSA. Candace, you like might that. have something you wanted to say in response. And then I have a follow-up question yes. as well. Tennessee was at the forefront of saying we're going mm -hmm. to create multiple models for mm -hmm. school improvement. And so the I-Zone ultimately started in Shelby County and, quite frankly, in other places mm -hmm. across the state as well because of the pressure of the creation of the Achievement School District through policy. So when we talk about pressure, we were supporting as a state both models. In yeah. fact, monetarily, we were specifically supporting mm -hmm. I-Zones with more money even from the outset than the 
the Achievement School District as far as state and, and federal dollars raised to the top also mm-hmm. was right. supporting these models. And so I, I think that's an important point to make because ultimately we were hopeful and uh, we're pleased that the I-Zone actually outperformed in some way the Achievement School District. But what it has taught us is new things that the Achievement School District should be actually focusing on mm-hmm. that are the, the best pieces of the I-Zone and maybe additional pieces that the I-Zone wasn't doing either, but we know it's it's uh, very critical for the improvements of 08. And I'll also make this point. Not all the I-Zones are created equal. We saw I-Zones in other places across Tennessee that did not have the same outcomes that uh, Shelby County eyes zone has made we think there were different mm-hmm. um, best practices happening in the memphis eye zone that we we can replicate in other places and, and truly make better for the entire state so mm-hmm. the the models themselves had a lot have allowed us to really grow in terms of our own knowledge and and again to fail forward to Absolutely. iterate on those while also improving the experience for kids kids were improving Absolutely. really across the board throughout this entire process too. So, in uh, fact, the floor is yeah, higher. Yes. Right. Uh, where kids are right. now in Memphis mm-hmm. and even across the state in our priority schools is better than where we were five Absolutely. or six years ago. So yeah. we were improving mm-hmm. with students while we were consistently iterating. Yeah, we, we actually will have a report coming out not long after this one that I know you, you've seen and we've talked about over time um, that looks a little bit at that, that floor aspect to where actually there is improvement sort of overall of these schools. Um, before we get to sort of probably what will be our last question, um, I, I, Laura asked a question of Gary that then, um, Candace, you answered a little bit with the, uh, the narrative around ISO or ASD failure. Sometimes mm-hmm. that's how it gets picked. This research gets picked up. Sharon, I'd love to just hear you comment a little bit on that. Also, a little bit from the perspective. Again, I'm going to keep pushing you. I know you're in, you're in the process of taking on this new role. Yes, but. Uh, when people think about ASD versus I-Zone mm-hmm. um, and one as more of a success than the other, agree, disagree in your perspective, and then, you know, so how do you take it from here? I would answer it like this. The Achievement School District and the state forced us to think differently about how we address the needs of all students. And so it's not a us versus them. This is about making sure that every single student who's in an urban or rural setting, and we know poverty plays a role as well, that all of their needs are addressed, not just sociably, but academically so they can succeed. So I don't ever get into a us versus them because until every single child is on grade level and beyond, then we have not not achieved. So it's not a pocket of success. This was written for the entire state to be successful and so that's where we are and so i'm excited now to bring the best practices i want to look at our charter schools i want to look at the partnership zone come to nashville so we can bring all of those things together so that we can create and put plans together so we can address the needs of all of our students that's great so last question for both of you um some next steps for the department and um for from also from the asd perspective i think we've heard a little bit about we're going to try to learn from each other um what else yeah and i mean and if you can be specific for our listeners i'm sure they would love to hear 
Well, we've publicly talked about some of our focus areas, and one of them in particular is the human capital approach that we have across our schools in the Achievement School District. Everything from how are we recruiting across all of the schools, what does leadership look like in in our schools, how are we encouraging and keeping the best and brightest um, in our schools, and we have struggled with that. I think the, the research will show that our retention efforts have not been stellar across any of our schools in the Achievement School District. So our focus is on the human capital components and ensuring that we have a really high quality recruitment and retention of the most effective teachers and encouraging a different staffing pattern, quite frankly, at the local level, um, meaning the school level, that um, is high priority in their own plans. And, and we just do not believe that that has been the highest priority. And resources need to be brought to bear to make that happen, mm-hmm. as well as ensuring that we have the principles in place that we know can ultimately uh, do the work right. over time. That's number one. Number two, we've publicly shared how important our literacy work is in the Achievement School District. We are prioritizing that as a state. Uh, We have a critical crisis uh, and the literacy attainment in our Achievement School District schools. And we are putting new supports, um, new personnel supports, how we're looking at our curriculum uh, will be changed, as well as what we do um, for the the summer and after school programming for our students. So an acute focus on the literacy needs. And then third, we know we have to have more of a portfolio learning environment across, again, not just all the schools in the school improvement sort of network across our state, but acutely in Memphis. Um, How do we learn across our charters and our direct run schools in the ASD? And then how do we work more directly with the iZone to share what we're learning? I think it's a a problem when you're all trying to implement the same curriculum. But you're all approaching it with very different uh, professional development needs. And we know we could pool our resources more because we're working with the same kids. We're working with the same teachers. We're essentially working with the same curriculum. So how do we learn together across some of the exact same tools that we're all trying to learn and be more effective with? It seems like that last point that you're making, too, touches a little bit on something that Gary said that we didn't quite get to, but was this idea of having charter management organizations coming Mm -hmm. in sort of from outside the state doing something that they were and some that were grown up here in Tennessee but doing something they hadn't done before by getting into some of that integration across you you might see actually people sort of improving together absolutely and I was only going to add uh, this intentional and deliberate collaboration we've been talking in the last few days about exceed the need until every single person, whether they have children or not in any of our schools, recognizes that we all have a role to play, then we cannot exceed the need. And so deliberate collaboration of our school districts, of the state, and and our districts within each city, town, um, is going to be, it's going to be our focus. And so you're gonna see a lot of us working together, professional development, I mean, visiting schools, I mean, it's going to definitely be a road show, but a road show for improvement. Um, I just wanted to say to you, I was really excited when the department hired you. I thought it was a very smart move uh, for both of y'all, um, in particular the commissioner. She keeps pointing. Sharon, just for people who are can't, obviously not in the room, can't see Sharon pointing at the commissioner and saying, it was all her. She did it. It was all her. But I just, I'm very excited to see this next chapter. Human capital, right? Yeah. That's right. It's about human capital. See the next chapter and see sort of where 
as we continue this research uh, over time and, mm-hmm. and other research and trying to dig in more on some of yes. these best practices um, and hopefully help you all as you're moving along, I'm excited to see where it goes next. Thank you both for joining us today. We appreciate it. Thank you. Really Thank awesome. You. Thank you so much. So, Aaron, how did the conversation today and meeting Sharon in person uh, live up to your expectations? And what is it that you're taking away from the conversation today? Uh, so uh, my my education geek was totally geeking out the whole time. Um, <laughs> and I feel like I was just as impressed if I, as I thought I might be. And I'm uh, as I said, at the end of that interview, I'm really hopeful, um, you know, I actually was uh, at the State Department of Education when the Achievement School District and Innovation Zone work was getting started. Um, and as I said, it's not always easy to sort of hear research that doesn't quite go in the direction that you might, that you might, and research is objective, right? Which is one of the things that's so great about it. But I'm excited to see what will happen and what Sharon will do in that role. Um, and also, um, just really grateful to have both Sharon and the commissioner make time to do this. Um, I do have some thoughts on takeaways from the research, but I'd love to hear what your thoughts were on the experience as a whole and um, and also on the what's what's going to happen next from the yeah. research perspective. You know, I heard this, the current superintendent in Shelby County um, say once that you can, you have to make us own our data. Um, and I really appreciated that perspective. And I think that the State Department has really owned the yeah. fact that the, the commissioner ach- did it a couple of times here right, today. That the, the, the results from the Achievement School District have not necessarily been what we would have hoped. You know, as Gary said, it's not, it's not that the students there have done worse than the comparison, um, but they haven't done uh, uh, better, right. uh, which is what we would have hoped. And they certainly have not necessarily done as well as what we've seen in the innovation schools. Um, but the conversation around pressure and state policy and how that comes into play um, is is really interesting. And then I, I, I'm really e- thrilled to hear the focus on human capital and mm-hmm. quality teachers and quality leaders that both um, the commissioner and uh, Superintendent Griffin are, are bringing to this work. Um, and I'm also excited about this idea of an increased collaboration and conversations between um, our, our, our large districts who are running a lot of these um, innovation zones and have some of the schools in the um, achievement school districts moving forward. I think, and I think I've said this on a previous co- podcast, but I think a great role of the State Department is to act as a connector. Yeah. Um, and it sounds like that's some of the direction that Sharon really wants to push for. Yeah, I thought that was all really, uh, really good, informative, um, interesting about the way they're thinking about it. And, and the, the whole the you know, Sharon kept coming back to the connector and, and sort of making uh, really helping school districts and the state to feel integrated in the work that we're all in this together. I thought that was a really interesting point because a lot of times these things do get pinched, pitched uh, against one another. And as someone who'd been in that position before, she clearly doesn't have that point of view, which I think is great. From the research perspective, um, I was really interested to hear Gary talk about some of the things that they're seeing in uh, in the sort of ongoing research on this, which is to say that um, teacher turnover actually might have some impact. Again, really great that both the commissioner and Sharon are thinking about those kinds of things, thinking about recruitment and retention. Um, as the commissioner said, 
puts us in a better place, uh, Tennessee, over time to see these various experiments, how they'll work. That's what we're really trying to, I feel like, build here between the department and the Tennessee Education Research Alliance is a partnership where we're not just doing program evaluations and saying, oh, it worked, it didn't work, but really looking at why it didn't work. I mean, what are some recommendations that can come out of the literature and to do some of those best practice shining a light? I also think that um, the research is really great at helping us kind of frame the problem. I know you guys are going to have a paper coming out um, that will talk about frameworks for school improvement and how we can align some of our um, goals with the outcome measures to make sure that, you know, that we feel confident that we're actually measuring what it is that we're trying to achieve. Um, You know, are we measuring outright growth? Are we are are we measuring reduction in gaps? Um, How do we know when we've set out to solve these big problems? How do we know if they're being solved? That's right. Yeah. And I imagine we'll hit back on some of that in some of our uh, later podcasts. Um, I know we've also got some things coming up um, around our educator survey findings and some soon to be released. Yes, yes, hope, uh, mid-July. Um, some of that will become becoming public um, and then hopefully we'll do something where we hit on teacher evaluation um, in the future. But I do want to say to all of our listeners out there that um, as she was leaving, Dr. Griffin was uh, saying that she's really planning to be out in schools as part of this new role and in, in the Achievement School District lead. Um, so those of you who uh, might just be as excited as Aaron and I were to meet her in person might just have the chance. Yeah, and and we might even just go see her while she's on the road. Um, So this is the end of our fifth episode of the 10th period. And um, I I just want to also take one quick moment to say thank you to Brian Smokler, who is the man at Vanderbilt University who helps to make all of this happen and did a bunch of quick switcheroos and various other things today to make this work. And continuously, we would not have a podcast if not for Brian. So really um, grateful. Um, So... Thanks for joining us for another episode of the 10th period. To learn more about the research that we talked about today, you can go to our website. Um, also, follow us, uh, the Tennessee Education Research Alliance, on Twitter, 10 Ed Res Alliance, and we'll see you back here for the next episode of the 10th period.